It is a privilege to be able to preach this message today. The first message of the new year, and I was practicing with my husband last night, and, you know, as we were worshiping, I just had this peace come over me because God doesn't change. And, you know, as I was praying about what to share today, you know, we all know it's a new year, new year, new me. And I was thinking about 2020, and I was looking back on my journals, and I was remembering how, you know, there's always taglines, I feel like, every year. And 2020 was like, we're going to come in with 2020 vision. We're going to see things differently. And then the world changed. (laughs) But, you know, I was reflecting. I remember sitting in my back room during the summer, and I said, God, you are calling us to have different vision. You are doing something so significant during this time, and I don't want to miss it. So help me to hear what you are doing. And I feel the same way for, for this year, for 2023. You know, just to recap, Pastor Pierre was leading us during December through the Advent story, and he was challenging us to look at it differently You know, the coming birth of Jesus isn't this nice, shiny story wrapped in a bow. Jesus came during genocide. He came during darkness. And as I was praying about what to share today, I I had to go back. I had to keep with the story. So today we're going to talk about a story of epiphany. And if any of you maybe grew up in a liturgical church, you may know that on the church calendar, that is what this season is called, Epiphany. It's the time on the Christian calendar where we celebrate Jesus revealing himself to the world through Gentiles or those who were not Jewish. Many of us know these men as the Magi or the Three Kings. And we have heard this story over and over again. My dad's here today. Shout out to him. We were talking about, (laughs) we were talking about how, you know, we've heard this story so much, but I'm telling you there's more to it. And we're going to dive in today, but I'm going to just pray ahead of time. Lord, thank you that you are here. God, I ask that I would decrease and you may increase. I ask for open ears and open eyes and open hearts. You have something for each of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. So the word epiphany means a sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. I'm going to go back and say that again. Oh, and I should have, re- I should have warned you. You're going to want to take notes because I have a problem where I always preach two messages in one and it's, it happens every single time, but there's too much, there's too much goodness. But in order for us to, to really get it, I, you have to hear this definition again. Epiphany means a sudden manifestation or perception of the essential nature or meaning of something. So Jesus is born. We all know the stories leading up to it. But then what? You know, you and I find ourselves in the but then what? And that question, but then what, goes all the way back to the very moments after he was born. And we're going to anchor ourselves in a story that takes place 
many, many years ago. And if there's one thing that I pray you hear today, forget everything else, it's that God invites each of us to our own epiphany if we are willing to listen and respond by faith. And that's really hard to do in a world like today because it's so noisy. We each carry around a device in our pockets that is pumping us with knowledge and facts and things that are happening all over the world. We live in a much more populated world. And it's hard to respond by faith because the, tr- the truth is we live in America. We are wealthier than the majority of the world. There's so much we feel we can control. So walking by faith is harder for us, I think, because we've got so many plan A, B, C, D, and E that we can fall back on. And I think our world today looks a lot like Jerusalem when Jesus was born. Stay with me. I'm going to explain. So we have to understand that geographically, where Jesus was born, this geographical area was being captured over and over and over again, invaded for years and years and years. So 1000 BC, 1000 years before Jesus was born, David conquers this area of Jerusalem. And then the Syrians conquer it. And then the Babylonians conquer it, and they conquer it, and they exile all of the Jewish people, all the Israelites to Babylon. And this keeps happening over and over again. But somewhere along the lines, Alexander the Great comes in, and he says, okay, Israelites, you can come back. You can rebuild, but we're still going to run things here. And then the Israelites actually revolt and start to take things into their own hands. But then we see Rome come in, and I'm sure a lot of us know this. So during this time where Jesus was born, Rome was the occupying country. And they put a ruler in place. His name was Herod. Anyone remember Herod's name? Yes. Herod was the king here. And Herod was placed strategically into power by Rome because Herod was half Jewish. His father converted to Judaism. So Rome thought, okay, he'll be a Jew to the Jewish, but we know he's going to play our game. And this is very important because Herod actually had so much success for Jerusalem during this time. They were economically thriving, but he was oppressing the Jewish people through taxes. There was political oppression, religious oppression, but to the outside world, things looked like they were going great. So a lot of people loved Herod, but the thing is he was kind of insane. At the end of his life, he became very paranoid. He actually killed his own wife, two of his sons, several of his associates that were serving alongside him. And you can come to your own conclusions, but through researching for this message, I read that he was so paranoid that power would be taken from him that he actually started killing those closest to him. Imagine the state of someone's mind to be in that place. And I think that Jerusalem during this time feels a lot like our world today because there's so much division. There's so much oppression. There's tremendous anxiety and uncertainty. Remember, if you were an Israelite during this time, your homeland was conquered over and over and over again. It's like, okay, who's taking over us today? 
You never knew what tomorrow would bring. And it feels like that a little bit today. There's a lack of trust in those who lead us, a lack of trust in institutions. We're not sure what news to believe. So I really want to invite us into this story because I feel like the relevance of the message is just as potent today as it was then. So we're going to camp in Matthew verses 2. And I don't have the scriptures today. I want to give a huge shout out to our tech and program team who have been serving throughout the holidays. You guys are amazing. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to it. I'm going to paraphrase a little bit so you're not listening to me just read a story to you for so long. But basically, Jesus was born in Judea during the time of King Herod, the crazy man. And... Magi, a.k.a. wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod, the crazy man, heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem was disterritory. So these were other Jews, and they too were disturbed. When he had called together all of the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born, in Bethlehem in Judea. And then they tell him a little bit about the prophecy that was provided many years ago. And it says that Herod then called the Magi, so the wise men secretly, and found out from them the exact time that the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon, you will find, as soon as you find him, report it to me so that I may go and worship him. Okay, let's break this down. Number one, Herod was nuts. So he actually did not want to go worship this king of the Jews because he was king of the Jews politically. He actually wanted to go and kill this child. And if you read several verses later, he, he enacts a mass genocide to kill every child under the age of two. That is crazy. So this is the mindset that this ruler, if we were living in Israel, or in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, this is what we would be used to, this type of tyranny. So we've got King Herod. Then we've got these wise men or magi. There has been a lot of mystery around who these men are. The term magi can actually be found centuries earlier in the book of Daniel. So Daniel was a part, remember I said that Israel, uh, Jerusalem was occupied by many other places, one of them being the Babylonians. The Babylonians sent all of the Jewish people to Babylon, and Daniel was included in that. But the king at that time, Nebuchadnezzar, selected some of the strongest, most fit men to come and serve in his courts, and Daniel was one of them. And they studied, and they learned, and they became very wise. So there's a part in the story in Daniel where even though Daniel was serving his oppressor, he chose to be faithful. And it says that God rewarded him. This is Daniel 1, verse 17. God granted Daniel and his three friends with knowledge and understanding of every kind of literature and wisdom. Excuse me. So then we read that the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was having these terrible dreams and they were tormenting him. And he said, bring me the wise men. The other word here is Chaldeans. They're interchangeable. And no one could interpret the dream and he's going to kill them all. And Daniel prays and he says, God, help me interpret this dream. 
and, and God allows Daniel to do that. So then the king says, okay, I'm not going to kill the wise men anymore. So this was, a, this was a, a set of men who were a priestly caste that could interpret dreams. They studied. They were very wise. And they really went through a lot of literature. So what we have to understand is that the wise men during this time, so again, let's go back. Jesus is born centuries later. The wise men know of this prophecy because Daniel was an Israelite and probably told them about it as he is studying under the king. So we've got these wise men. Also in this passage of scripture, we have chief priests and teachers. Remember, Herod says that when the wise men come and ask him, where is this king of the Jews? He calls chief priests and teachers of the law, which were most likely Sadducees and Pharisees. So these were Jewish priests who were very well studied. They were raised their entire lives in the temple. They would have known of this prophecy. And we also have, as a character in this story, all of Jerusalem. Now remember, Jerusalem was a Jewish territory. And in the scripture, it says that when King Herod is asking about the king of the Jews that was born, they, would, they were disturbed. Why would Israelites who were being oppressed by the Romans be disturbed that the king who is prophesied to be their liberation has come onto the scene? Have you ever caught that in the scripture? I didn't. You would think they would be happy and overjoyed because the one has come who will deliver us. So I want to take a moment and invite us to honestly reflect on these characters and ask ourselves if we can see ourselves in any of them. Consider Herod. Herod actually did do many of the traditional Jewish practices. He rebuilt the Jewish temple. He brought great economic success to this territory. But maybe like Herod, some of us in this room have allowed the seduction of success or entitlement to what we have given, we have done, we have served to deceive us that we're serving God, but we're actually serving our own agenda. And I don't say that with accusation because as I read this story, I found myself here. Many times I think we can justify our decisions and he deceived the Magi. I want to go worship him. Because we think, I've, I've, I've given my time. I've done the things. And as I was praying specifically about Herod, I was thinking about how many of us in this room, you know, a lot of times we think about our faith in the context of these four walls of the church. That's not why Jesus came. He came for everything. And many of us, have been given occupations and vocations and influence in its ministry. And we're holding it with apathy because we don't realize that God has actually given us these positions so that we can create change in our world and partner with him and ask God, how do you want me to use my job to bring healing and restoration to the world? We're getting our paycheck Maybe we're doing a good job, but there's so much more. There is an epiphany waiting for us if we are willing to see it. The second character 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Remember, these are men who grew up in faith. Many of their parents actually would have taken them right to the temple, temple as children so that they could grow and study. And I think that some of us in this room may find ourselves, if we're really honest, which I pray we are today, because if not, this is just gibberish. Some of us may have been believers for a long time. We've served faithfully. But our hearts have grown cold to the reality of who God is. Like the chief priests and teachers of the law, we know in our heads. But the reality of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, here everywhere, isn't real to us anymore. And I think the strategy of the enemy is always to either keep people from Jesus or to create apathetic believers. Because we know that to be a believer doesn't mean we're disciples. Disciples means to follow Jesus. We have to sacrifice some things. We have to change, and it's hard. And I know when I read this, I could also see myself here. You know, when we think about the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they would have served faithfully as well. And I want to speak to some different populations in the room. Again, this is not judgment. This was, this was like, God, what does this mean for us today? I think there are so many people in this room right now who maybe you're facing retirement. You've raised your kids. You've done the thing. Like, you've done it. You're like, okay, I'm ready. But do you know that there are generations behind you that need you? Do you know that the things that you have walked through, the suffering, the trials, the thing that nobody knows except for you and God, God has deposited wisdom in you so that you can reach back and pull others up. The assignment is never over. And it's not drudgery. It's like an adventure every day in my fear is that myself included, we have, we're asleep. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Christ is here. He's not even coming anymore. He's here. The other trap, I think, with those of us that can resonate with the chief priests or teachers is I, I really started to get curious and and, and I want to encourage you to do the same thing as you read scripture. Why weren't, like, when I read this, why weren't the chief priests and the teachers, like, ecstatic? And I had to wonder. Maybe they were offended. How dare these magi astrologers from the east come in here and declare, where is the king of the Jews? How dare they? And I think... Some of us, if we really ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, we're offended. Because we've been serving God, we pray, we read our Bibles, and we can become offended at the joy and the wonder of someone who is discovering the living Christ for the first time. We secretly say to ourselves, wait till they Wait till they go through what I've been through. They, they won't be raising their hands like that in worship anymore. Wow. I have to tell you, I found myself 
in this character. And it wasn't until I admitted it. And this is the thing. This is why it's not accusatory. Because God came for all these characters. (laughs) He loves them all. He loves me. If we allow anger and offense to build up in our hearts because of suffering or hard things, we can quickly become a Pharisee or a Sadducee. The joy of Christ before us is no longer within our hearts. The third character here is all of Jerusalem. Remember I said that all of Jerusalem, they were, they were Israelites. They were well-studied. They should have been so excited for their king. And they too were disturbed. I really believe that many of us can identify with the Israelites here. All of Jerusalem. Remember, they had been occupied for centuries over and over again. They'd get their hopes up, and then somebody else would come in. I wonder if they were tired from the constant occupation and conflict in their country. Tired of fighting for the freedom that God promised them. Tired of hoping. I think there's, and I know there are, because I know a lot of you, and I was watching during worship and looking at many of your faces, not in a creepy way, but (laughs) I was rehearsing your stories. Robin, I I didn't ask you if I could share this, but Robin is sitting up here, just celebrated her last chemo treatment last week, right? I know my I know my aunt is watching online right now. And you know, she's standing in the gap for her son who's been diagnosed with cancer. I know many of you have gone through things. And if we don't invite God into our suffering, we can easily become apathetic, like, what's the point? We show up on Sundays, we watch online, we go through the motions, but we're heartbroken. And what I want to say to those of you who find yourself in this place is that God is with you. He weeps with you. And there is a way through You will never be the same. You will be something more. God can move in your grief. God can move in your suffering. Those of you that are sitting in here right now, maybe you're going through a divorce or you lost a loved one or your spouse left you, God is with you. He loves you. He is for you. There is an epiphany for us, even in our worst nightmares. And lastly, there is the character of the wise men. Maybe you, like them, have been searching your whole life. You're well-studied. You know about every religion, but there's something that cannot be filled within you. And if that's you today... I want you to know 
that you're in the right place. And that there is something more. There is an alive, resurrected Jesus Christ that is moving at all times if we're willing to walk with him. So the story continues. And I'll just paraphrase it because I've got four minutes left. (laughs) Uh, After they heard the king, the wise men went, and they went to go worship Jesus. And it says that they were overjoyed. Verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream by God to not go back to Herod, they returned to their country by a different route. Okay. This, remember when I said I usually preach two messages? This is the second one. You're getting it for free. But I'm going to be really quick about it. So the Magi, think about this. They were not Jews. They were not Israelites, okay? They put their life on the line for this madman who's got a history of crazy. They choose to defy his orders. They never tell Herod about Jesus where he is, and they go home a different way. Ooh, if you're not stirred up, you should be, because there is so much here. These men encountered something that changed their lives. And they model for us how to respond by faith. The first way, and there are so many, but I got three minutes. So one of the ways that we respond by faith, it has to involve risk. Risk. These wise men were willing to risk their lives for a faith they weren't even a part of. And I think we have to ask ourselves as we lived our our lives, that can be much more comfortable than the rest of the world. When was the last time we took a risk for God? Secondly, they respond with sacrifice. Responding by faith requires sacrifice. Now, many of us know they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You guys are good. So if you want to go down a rabbit trail, they all have symbolism. But what you need to know is these were very expensive gifts, And this is what would have actually given them income because remember, they came from the east all the way to Jerusalem. So this is what was allowing them to travel. This is what was allowing them to to live and buy food and have protection. They gave these gifts to this baby boy, this king that has been prophesied by a faith that they weren't even a part of. They sacrificed something. And I think sometimes we become so comfortable that we forget to walk by faith means that we have to sacrifice with trust. Things that don't make logical sense to us. Thirdly, they respond with joy and worship. Has the wonder of what Christ gave for you, for me, for us, Has it grown cold? Again, I don't say that accusing you. I I say it as an invitation to really be honest. It was the day before Christmas. Is that when we got that big storm, Christmas Eve? Yes. So the day before, two days before Christmas, I I do an Instacart order. 
And, you know, because it's like Christmas is coming. We got this big storm. And, and I, I put it in 12 hours in advance because I'm a control freak. So I put it in. I show up 12 hours later. And, you know, if you do Instacart, you can see, like, if they're still shopping. Well, they, hadn't, they hadn't even started shopping yet. And I was so irritated. So I was like, you know what? Again, because I'm a control freak. I'm like, I'm just going to go in. I'm just going to go in and do a little status check and see where we're at. So I go in. And if was anyone at Wegmans on the 23rd? It was insane. Because people are really worried about this terrible storm. And they're trying to prepare for their families. And I walk in with an attitude. And I'm, oh, yeah, no, it's, yes, yes. And I'm talking to this woman, and I'm like, well, you know, I, pl- I placed this order yesterday. And this associate over here at Charlie Wegmans comes in. And he's like, ma'am, I'm so sorry. He said so many people are just afraid. So you can't even move in the store. There's not even things on the shelves. And, and the joy and the, the grace from this probably 19-year-old boy Ooh, the Holy Spirit slapped me up and down. He, God was like, oh, it's a day, two days before Christmas, and you come in here with an attitude? I had to leave. I was so embarrassed. I said, you're right. You're right. I'm just going to run over to Target, and I'm, I'll be right back. And, you know, because he had joy. He, you know what? He had the fruit of the Spirit. And here's me, Pastor Carrie, coming in with my attitude. It's been 12 hours. You know, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we live in the revelation of what Jesus has done for us, there's so much more joy available to us. And you're not a bad person if you've got an attitude with Instacart. Like, we all get there. But the the, the mercy of God leads us to repentance. So it's like when we remember, oh my gosh, look at this mercy I've been given. How can, how, how can I not have joy that you want to know what? Nobody can take from you. No one can. Because nobody gave it to you. Jesus did. Fourthly, even though I'm holding up three fingers, fourthly, <laughs> the wise men responded with transformation. They went home a different way. They were obedience to a dream. These non-Jewish men, obedient to a dream, they defied the most powerful man in their area. And they went home different. And we're here 2,000 years later talking about them. I think if we're honest, sometimes we're hesitant to move from believer to disciple. Because of these things, it requires risk, sacrifice, joy, and worship. And as we, as a church, enter into January, those of you that have been here for a while, you know that we intentionally take January and we set it aside and we create more time as a congregation to listen, to reorient ourselves. You know, so many of us, we get crazy during the Christmas time. There's recitals and, you know, there's tons of stuff. So my question for you today is how are you going in January to listen? 
And after we listen, how are we going to respond by faith? What is God calling us to risk? What is he calling us to sacrifice? You know, throughout January, there's so many opportunities because we know this is hard. So that's why we moved prayer to Saturday morning because it's dark at 4 o'clock and who wants to come out on a Wednesday night? So come and pray with us for an hour. Listen, who is contending for your family in prayer if you are not? And it's nobody else's job. It's our, it's our beautiful, glorious privilege to stand in the gap and to pray and declare what is not yet over our family. We're going to offer these Sunday night intensives where we're going to gather around round tables and talk and discuss what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have a biblical worldview? How does our, how does our perspective shift if we're really walking in this good news gospel? How does my life orient to this? Come and join us. And we're also starting, some of you, I can see Carlos over there, Betty's up here, Jordan I know is in the room. We're starting our online discipleship course. And it's Thursday nights, eight Thursdays, and we're diving deeper into how do I embody and live out these truths? How do I live this faith? But I'll tell you what, the discipleship course is on you. What you get out of it is what you put into it. Someone knows that's a nugget for life right there. There's so many opportunities, church. Joy and worship. Where's our gratitude these days? Do we Sabbath? Awake, oh sleeper. And I know it's not as simple as it sounds. It's really hard. I, I understand because I'm, I'm a disciple too. I'm living it out same as you are. But there is more. There is more. So lastly, this is my other last nugget. Uh, one of the things I've been doing for years, and this, this would be transformation, is I take some time at the end of every year to reflect and write about the prayers that God has answered within the year because it orients our heart to gratitude and that God can do the impossible. And then I set, a set, and, then I set and write down prayers for the coming year. God, what am I seeking you for? And I also pray and I open my Bible and I pick a scripture. And that is what anchors me every year. And you want to know what's so amazing? I've been doing this for seven years, although I think I forgot last year. I was talking about that with Josh earlier. I think I forgot. But I have seven years of recorded history of God answering prayers, of scriptures given to me by faith that end up becoming true. And we have, we have to slow down. We have to anchor ourselves in Christ and put our hope and expectation in God and God alone. So I want to leave you with a scripture that Pastors Pierre and Marlise feel so strongly for this year for our congregation. And I want to encourage you to write it down and pray about it. 
It's Isaiah 58, verse 12. And I think this is the message translation. This is God's word over each of you and over me. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places. Firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. Before I pray, I want to invite those of you who feel like you want to take a step that our church can help with. After service, I want to invite our staff, surprise, staff and leaders to just come up front. We can have a conversation with you. If you're interested in joining the discipleship course, you can do that by going online and signing up. But we'll be up front. I just want to take a moment and pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are alive within us. Thank you that each of us have an epiphany. You have an epiphany waiting for us. Maybe it's to pray the prayer we said we'd never pray because we're so tired. You say, trust me again. Maybe it's coming alive and being awakened to the reality of who you are in the here and now. You are here. So God, I bless this congregation, those in the room and online with a vibrance and abundant faith that speaks louder than anything they could ever do or say. Thank you that we are placed on purpose for a reason wherever we are, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, to be an extension of hope. So I bless my brothers and sisters with peace to risk with hope and courage to sacrifice with tenacity to have joy in worship and the obedience to be transformed pray all these things in your name amen